0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Talking Chop Podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, along with Brad Roland, as always, for episode 13 of the podcast after missing out on a week last week. Brad, how's it going, my man? I'm good, sir. It's nice to have you back, especially. Uh, you
1: should tell the people why, you, uh, why we missed last week's podcast, but for once, it was not my fault, and it was actually
0: something that you were involved in. Yeah, it was my fault, so apologies for that, but... Uh, I graduated from UNC last weekend, and uh, it's kind of a big deal. I had the parents come into town, uh, then hung out with the family on Sunday, which is when we normally record, which is the day we're recording uh, right now. So we had to push that back, and then we decided just to hold off on a week because coming in with a podcast in the middle of a week is kind of weird, just because you're in the middle of a series. But either way, I graduated from college successfully, which is. Nice. Feels weird to be in the real world now, but I am extremely grateful that I don't have to write any more papers about the Spanish Armada. So that's a that's a win, to be sure. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, but I'm excited to be back. A lot has happened since the last time we came to you in this podcast. I think the Braves have won twice since the last time we had a podcast, which is not good, but. It's it's better than there's been sometimes. To be fair, it's it's it was not the worst stretch of the season by any means. <laughs> no, but before we jump into Braves talk, um, Brad and I were just discussing the the punch heard around the world, which we had earlier today in the Rangers Blue Jays game. Um, I don't know how to pronounce O'Dor's first name, Brad. So do you want to just just go over what happened today and why we're talking about this?
1: Yeah. Uh, well. In short, Rugnado Odor landed a hay, landed the haymaker of all haymakers if you haven 't seen it already, you will see it on SportsCenter Center or some other medium of the internet somewhere he uh, basically laid out Jose Bautista, mm-hmm. um, who is very famous and um, that he 's very good at baseball so odor is you know one of the you know best young players in the game in my opinion, mm-hmm. and uh, continu- you know this would, this would be a big deal regardless because it 's somebody punching somebody else cleanly and very very beautifully yeah. in certain ways on a baseball field but when you throw in the fact that both these guys are very good players um and it was kind of the uh perfect made for the internet moment too so it's been uh something that everybody's been talking about the last couple hours and man it was uh certainly something
0: yeah it was awesome uh we actually got a couple questions about this in our uh our little mailbag segment that we do so if you guys aren't aware normally when we host these podcasts we'll tweet out uh, from the Talking Chop account, uh, any questions that you guys have that you want us to address? And we got a couple that we're going to talk about relating to this punch just because it's so awesome. You don't see a punch in baseball very often at all, especially not one that's landed as well as old Odor had on Batista today. Uh, I've watched this thing like five times already. I don't know how many times you watch it, Brad, but I know I'm going to keep watching it throughout the night.
1: Yeah, several. Um, a good friend of mine, Robbie Callan from CBS Sports. Uh, Gif this thing up and tweeted it, and I think he has like seven thousand retweets. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, Bleacher Report kind of hit him with that one, but it was one of those things where I was making fun of him for having his Twitter blow up, so that ended up with me watching it about you know thirty times, and it will be something that I replay in my mind over and over again that's for sure. Perfect.
0: Quick tangent: Bleacher Report once stole a Marcus Page dunk video from me, and they didn't retweet it; they just stole the video. So um so not no shout outs to butcher report today sorry so sh- i'll so sh- take that back <laughs> regardless um bennett hip who's a friend of the program asks who would throw the best punch on the 25 man roster uh and you can tackle this first if you want brad i kind of have some deep insight into this question so if you want to go first by all means Ooh boy deep insight um i definitely overthought this one but it, it was fun so um, I'm going to say, whew, I'm going to say Bud Norris, Bud Norris. All right. What's your rationale? I don't really have any,
1: <laughs> I think Bud Norris seems like the guy who might get really frisky if somebody charged the mound. That's the kind of scenario where you normally see punches in baseball mm-hmm. is if somebody charges the mound and it's usually the, almost the pitcher laying it out because of the fact that they have time to prepare. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with Bud Norris. Uh, I thought about Faulty. He seems like somebody who might get a little aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as position players, though, I don't really see that perfect guy unless that's. Uh, there's one idea. I think it might be yours. So I'm gonna go with Bud Norris. Um, and maybe that maybe I sound like an idiot with that one, but I think Bud is scrappy and yeah. he has that old man strength. Okay, so, okay I, fair Bud. enough.
0: The old man strength. I'm glad you pointed that out because one of my candidates definitely has the old man strength as basically the sole reason he's there. But my quick, my top three, who are like the immediate three guys that I would think of, are uh, Fulty. Uh, A.J. Pierzynski and Nick Marcakis. And here's the brief run. Nick Marcakis? Yes, Nick Marcakis. Okay, just listen to me. Hear me out. Fulty is 6'4 and 220 pounds, and he's younger, so I think he's still got a lot of fight in him. Glad you mentioned him. He's kind of an obvious one if you just look at the – like, I'm such a nerd about this because I immediately went to uh, data. I looked at their height and weight just to see who could, like, pack the most behind their punch. Uh, so Folty's a pretty big dude. And then I went for Pierzynski just because – like, if there's anyone on the team that has old man strength, it's got to be Pierzynski. And he's got a few rally beers to throw behind it as well. And then Marcakis I put Marcakis in there because I was in the clubhouse with him last year, and he just seems like a mean dude. Like, I know he's not. He just doesn't really like talking that much. But he just looks like a guy that I would never want to mess with. So Marcakis is on the list for me, and he's 215 pounds, and he's pretty cut up. Uh, you might not be able to tell in a baseball uniform, but I think Marcakis is... Uh, definitely a solid candidate. I don't know why you acted so surprised to hear that name. What's what's the knock on Marcakis? Just because he doesn't have any power at the bat, you don't think he uh, can swing a punch?
1: S- yeah, you stole that from <laughs> me. I think it has something to do with his sub hundred ISO where I wouldn't be terribly <laughs> wouldn't be terribly worried about Nick Marcakis. There's also an obvious joke that neither of us are neither of us are gonna make about a player on the roster that we will not make. Again I say we will not make
0: this joke. Um moving on. I think we should probably get off of this now since I thought of that joke that we can't say. Yeah, maybe you did. Oh, but one more question about this before we move on. Is the Odor Punch greater than the Ryan Punch? This came from Jeremy Deloy. Uh, I'm assuming he's talking about the Nolan Ryan, uh, Robin Ventura showdown.
1: Oh, yeah. know what? which
0: one do you like better? Because I actually immediately showed my mom that one too. We were watching all these Best Baseball Brawl compilations, and that's another one that sticks out to me, as I'm sure it does to you.
1: Yeah, this is... This is the uh, thing about you know modern technology. I think we have a better shot of this uh, Odora Punch than we ever had of the Ryan Punch. Mm-hmm. We, we, we didn't really have the slow-mo gif uh, <laughs> slash gif, however you want to say that, of the Ryan Punch. I'm going to go with Ryan because that's a certified crazy person. And <laughs> and it was more than one punch. Yeah. Like, he had him under the arm, like wailing away. Um, so I'll give it to Nolan Ryan because he was, by all accounts, crazy on the mound <laughs> the best possible way. Um, but I think Odor's just looks cooler because you could actually see, you know, the face moving, mm-hmm. all that stuff, the way he actually connected. But I would say no Ryan for the crazy factor.
0: Okay. I'm gonna go with Odor, and you might be right with the uh, technology, maybe Odor's just looks better, but after breaking these both down and analyzing them side by side, it looks like Ryan, while Ryan did get a bunch of punches in there, none of them seem as solid as odors did, and again that might be because I've seen the slow-mo with Bautista's helmet flying off, his glasses flying off. But it just seems like not only was it solid contact, he got a lot of force behind that. And when Ryan is doing his, he's kind of falling backwards off the mound. So I don't really know how hard those punches were.
1: No, I think you're right. I think you're right.
0: <laughs> if it's punch for punch, if it's
1: one versus one, I think, yeah, I think but the door you know, is the I word. think
0: you still can factor in the other punches, though. So I guess it just depends on uh, how you're breaking it down. But regardless, a fun, a fun day in baseball. Uh, especially since neither of these players were involved with the Braves. We don't have to deal with any suspensions on the team we cover. Let's jump into some actual Braves talk. Uh, what do you want to start off with? Mike fulton and Matt Whistler have been doing pretty well of late.
1: Yeah, man. If there's something that's positive, that's always fun to start with. And uh, the T whistler combo was lights out over the weekend for sure. It was a lot of fun to watch those guys, even if the results weren't as good as everybody hoped they would be on the scoreboard um, across the board. But
0: those two guys were awesome. Yeah, and real quick before we dive into them, I think in a season like the Braves are having this year, I think it's very important to make sure that you are, you as like a general fan of the team, make sure you're just looking into like these positive things from the players. Like We know the team isn't that good. If you're a real diehard fan, it's obviously hard to ignore the fact that you're losing all the time, but these things are good for the team going forward. I'd rather the team lose now and have... Um, good development and good improvement from these young players then maybe luckily get a few wins while your players are still performing in in a manner that you wouldn't like to see but um, matt whistler since april 17th has posted a 2.51 era and is holding opposing batters to a 175 252 272 uh, triple slash looks like he has been getting a bit lucky in that regard as it's just a 184 BABIP against him which is Obviously, tremendously low. That's not sustainable. And he has just 15 strikeouts in 28.2 innings. That's five starts of data. Uh, But what have we seen from Whistler over this brief stretch? Obviously, it's kind of a small sample, but good to see those numbers that low. Is that something he can sustain throughout the season in your mind?
1: Um, you mentioned a little bit, some of the stuff's unsustainable. I don't expect Whistler in his current form to be able to post, you know, a mid two ZRA. Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned the strikeout issues. Um, I think he's a guy who could probably succeed with a modest strikeout rate, um, down the line. And he's probably going to have to because of how his stuff, um, shapes up. But, you know, still walking nine guys in those 28 innings is not, not awful by any means, but Mm -hmm. not, not electric the way that he has to be, I think, to become, you know, number two, number three starter, he probably needs to be walking far less than that, um, given his lack of strikeout upside. Um, but, you know, it's it's fun to see Whistler, you know, generating some swings and misses, hitting his spots for the most part. He's really been kind of efficient, um, and, and you want to see that from a guy who, again, doesn't have that huge fastball that you look for in a mm-hmm. dominant number one. Um, so it's really been kind of fun to watch him pitch. Only because he kind of does some things that remind people of the uh, the control guys from years past. I won't say their names because that's blasphemy. But (laughs) uh, you know, Whistler and a big thing for me. um, He's kind of shown the ability to go inside now. Yeah, Uh, I think he's. I I think he might even give an an interview or two about that recently. Where. He's really been uh, last year was kind of unwilling to go inside, and it really allowed batters to kind of kill him on the outside corner because he was never brushing guys back. He was not owning that inner half of the plate. And this mm-hmm. year, you know, that's never going to be something he does a ton, but at least the threat of it has really allowed him to kind of work on the outside corner the way he wants to. So that's a couple things that I'm like for him from him
0: so far. What yeah. do you seeing? Um, I looked into the uh, just his his uh, pitch percentages on Bricks Baseball. If you guys aren't familiar with that site. Definitely check it out if you want to kind of dive into the nitty-gritty stuff on pitchers, especially. I just wanted to see if he was cha- if he was using any more pitches differently than he did last season. Um, and just from looking over it in general, it looks like he's throwing his slider, his curve, and his two-seam fastball more this season than last year. And his changeup is almost cut in half, which is kind of interesting. Obviously, this is all I feel when are we gonna get to the point where I don't have to say small sample size, but it's only 26 Memorial change-ups. Day. You know that it's Memorial Day. We're almost there. <laughs> it's only 26 changeups. Um, but as of right now, he's throwing that pitch half as often as he did last season, which is kind of surprising considering all the talk that we had uh, of that pitch this offseason with him working with Tom Glavin on that pitch. But he's generating more whiffs on the slider, the two seam, and the changeup. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether that's something that is actually improved over the off season, or if that's just kind of stuff with the numbers that you see. But it looks like he's more confident in his off-speed pitches, at least as far as his usage of these pitches. Um, I've always been big on his slider, so I like that he's throwing his slider more. And the changeup, the difference in his whiff rate on the changeup is pretty significant at this point. And I'm almost wondering if that, even if he doesn't use it as much as he did last season, that pitch might be a weapon for him better than it was previously just because of what we've seen so far from it. So going forward with Whistler, it'll be really cool to keep an eye on all these things and to see how his kind of uh, his repertoire develops, I guess.
1: Yeah. I think it's uh, especially on the changeup note that you said, I think young guys, if they think they have a good changeup, kind of over rely on it. Mm -hmm. And at this level, you know, changeups only work if they're actually changing up. That sounds really, really obvious mm-hmm. and it comes out of my mouth. But Whistler, you know, his stuff's not quite good enough to the fact where he can, you know, throw that pitch too often because guys wind up sitting on it. And yeah. that's, if it spins or if he misses even a little bit, that's a pitch that if somebody's ready for it, is going to get whacked. And that's what happened last year a lot. So it's I think it's good that uh, as you mentioned to see more
0: sliders mm-hmm. and less changeups. That's uh, a little a little bit more of a, a, a dynamic offering from him. That's something we like to see. Mm-hmm. And I will note that he d- he doesn't have a ton of separation as far as velocity between his fastball and his changeup. Um, and I've also you you can also see in the numbers this year that the movement is slightly better. I don't know if it's anything that that should tell you guys that the chain, the pitch itself is actually much better this year. But there is increased movement uh, both horizontally and vertically which is good to see especially when you don't have a ton of separation between your fastball so just monitoring his, um, his pitching numbers this season is going to be interesting because Whistler is a guy that we've all liked since he's come up uh, I think he does have the potential to be a solid number three guy I don't think he'll be much more than that just because I don't think he's got the strikeout stuff in his arsenal but Whistler so far has been very very productive and I think not to toot my own horn, but didn't I say Whistler could be the best pitcher this season, Brad? I, I believe you did that, say that. I, I um,
1: so I will, I'll I'll <laughs> still fight back on. I don't I don't think he's going to be by the end of the year. All right. Um, if I had to bet, but it's definitely possible. So kudos to you on uh, seeing that a little bit. And I know we we both enjoy his work immensely. So it's good to see this.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then. Um, Mike fulton this is a guy that we've talked about a lot. Uh, he's glad, alive, Carlos. We're, we're glad that the Braves didn't immediately throw him into the bullpen. We've, we've kind of had that argument many times, but he's had three May starts so far. Brad, what have we seen from him over those 18 and two-thirds innings?
1: Um, he's been pretty lights out, um, especially this most recent start. He was, you know, that was easily the best start of his career, but mm-hmm. over the stretch, uh, 16 strikeouts to two walks in those three starts. Uh, the good. two walks is awesome for a guy like Fulton. Um, cause you know, you know, the stuff is there, the raw stuff at least is there and that, you know, it's not, all, you know, it's not all about not walking guys. It's, uh, it's also about missing bats sometimes, but with his arsenal, if he's hitting spots the way that you want him to hit, um, that's huge. And that strikeout to walk rate, right, you know, anybody uh, wants that strikeout to Rockways right with 16 to two. Um, and you know, the, the home run ball has been kind of the bigger issue for Folti, mm-hmm. especially early on. I think it was when he gave up three homers in the first inning this year. Of uh, his major league uh, stint, <laughs> which is not what you want to see, uh, not sustainable in either direction. But um, he's brought that down as well, and that's something that he's going to be susceptible with probably forever. But just seeing him be able to function like this over, uh, you know, a two three start stretch mm-hmm. is awesome because it's not, you know, he's flashed it in the past um, in his limited time with the uh, with the big league club. But you know, stringing three starts together of quality baseball is really encouraging for you know a 24 year old guy with huge arm talent.
0: Yeah, I think that you, you basically nailed it. If you look at his game log, he allowed those three homers and it was the first inning against the Mets on May second, is that right? First inning that is correct. three homers. Yes. Yeah. And then after that it's uh one against Arizona and then he didn't allow any uh against the Royals. But yeah, I think that is the one thing you need to keep watching for Fulty because we've talked about it several times, but he's got that heater on his fastball, but it's a pretty flat pitch in general. So if he's not locating that, uh Batters are going to be able to hit it right now. Posing hitters have a two seventy two eighty nine five fourteen triple slash. All that's pretty solid except for that slugging percentage, um,
1: and that's the home runs. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's
0: it's one of those things where, especially la-
1: especially last night as we recorded this on Saturday, I had the uh the opportunity, the privilege to be the guy covering the game for mm-hmm. Talking Chop. Uh, so I was I was super locked in to that start and. Mm-hmm. I thought Fulty's movement was actually really good on his fastball compared to normal. Um, A little bit more of that two seam action. um, And that, you know, if you look at the box score, 11 ground ball outs Mm -hmm. in innings is not something you would normally see from Fulty, especially with only four strikeouts um and again it's only one game but uh you know one of the big criticisms criticisms from us towards faulty has been his lack of movement on the fastball and while he's he's probably always going to be a a guy who throws that four seam you know big speed fastball he was ta- i don't know if he was taking a little bit off or doing something differently mechanically he kind of was cryptic in the post game. They were. He was kind of asked and wouldn't really answer what has changed. He just said he had to clean, clean up some mechanics, as pitchers do. You know, they don't want to give stuff away, but um, it was clear to me that the ball was moving more more uh, in that start in Kansas City. And again, it's one start, but that's fun to see. Even if he's throwing more of that 95 range, mm-hmm. if it's moving better than if if, uh, if you know 95 and moving is better than 98 and straight, especially at this level. So if he can continue that, I think those 11 ground ball outs is
0: really really illuminating mm-hmm. uh, for how he pitched. Yeah, not to um put you on the spot here, Brad, but what did you think about him his location on this fastball? Did you notice him missing spots uh in general or was he kinda hitting hitting where he was supposed to be hitting?
1: Yeah, I thought it I thought it was pretty good, um, especially last night. It was one of those things where obviously no walks. Uh, you, you you see that number and you assume he was flawless with um with location. Yeah. That's not always the case. I think we're we're probably too quick as a uh you know, as a fan base or as even baseball in general, just to assume that the guy's command was good if he didn't walk anybody.
0: Yeah. Um, There's but, a difference in control and command. Right. The it first was, being was, that you can just throw strikes, and the second being you can actually locate your pitches where you need to. But
1: Yeah, I thought he was basically hitting spots all night. I mean, Kansas City is not really hitting, hitting the ball very well. A couple of people pointed that out to me after the game that the rules have been in kind of a a, a long slump for them as far as, you know, with, with their offense. But at the same time, I thought Fulty's stuff was good and he was hitting his location. For the most part, so it's t- it's kind of tough to argue with a game where you know you allow less than one less than one base runner per inning over eight innings against a quality team on the road, mm-hmm. um, especially after the way he pitched early in the season. So it was fun to see these last two starts.
0: Yeah, all right, and then just going forward about what you think of Fultonevich. I know last year he had a stretch where he really performed well and showed us that he has the ability to be a number two pitcher in the rotation if he can get everything together. Um, but then we saw what he did at the end of the season, so. It might be a bit uh, cynical of me, but these few starts don't really have me thinking anything different of what I thought beforehand. Uh, I need to see it like more consistently and throughout the season, but have, have these three starts changed your mind about Fulton Are you more optimistic about him becoming a solid starting pitcher, or are you in the same boat as me? Do you need to see this more? Do you think anything has changed, basically? Do you think he's improved since the last time we've seen him?
1: Um I do think he's improved. I, I you know I'm, I'm kind of in your boat where it's going to take more than it's really these two starts of 15 innings these last two starts that yeah. has really propelled him to where people are thinking thinking highly of him now again. Um I'm on board with what I saw last night um with more movement and you know better location but again we're going to have to see more than 15 innings um that's kind of going to be the case for everybody we say that all the time to the, probably to the point of annoyance
0: uh-huh. of
1: listeners but uh Fulte, <laughs> you know his talent is there man that's that's really my takeaway is that his talent is there and while there's been a ton of talk of him going to the bullpen and I get that I've been somebody who's brought it up in the past as a, a you know an eventual long-term option but you know we we've, we've kind of been saying over and over again that you have to give him every opportunity to to see as a starter and he's you know these two starts have been good, so it's uh, you want to you know he probably bought himself some more time in the rotation um, with just these two starts, and you know until you see him getting blasted again, hopefully that won't happen. Um, you leave him in there and see what happens, and kind of let him work himself out. i you know I, I wish we can get into his mind with what the mechanical changes were, mm-hmm. and maybe somebody can you know maybe shout out to Mark Bowman or somebody can poke around in there and get him to <laughs> open up on that a little bit. Um, but until then, hopefully we just see the same type of movement that we saw in the fastball and. Really commanding his pitches like we did, like he did on Saturday night.
0: Yep, and continuing with the optimism on the mound, uh, Julio Tehran, who really entered the season with a lot of questions, has posted a .95 ERA in 19 innings so far in May. His strikeout numbers uh, for the year are a tick up. His walks are a tick up, but everything else. When I was just looking over at his Fangraphs page today, uh, is in line with his career numbers. He's currently got a two fifty nine BABIP, which is a career low, but it's not substantially lower uh, than anything that he's posted in a full season. Uh, the peripherals suggest that he's been a bit lucky, but again, his ERA, FIP, and XFIP are all kind of in line with what he's done throughout his career. So is Julio back? Is last year just maybe a little bit of a fluke? Is he kind of in between the uh, 2013 and 2015 version? Uh, is this the real Julio Tehran, and what what do you think of him moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think it's somewhere in the middle of those two, like you mentioned. Um, I'm really encouraged by the fact that he's getting more ground balls and keeping the ball in the ballpark. Yep. I think what bit Julio last year more than anything was the home run ball. Um, giving up you know, 1.2 homers per nine with his stuff is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got to keep the ball in the ballpark. Um, but the strikeout right t- t- ticking up a bit is encouraging to me. Um, we always thought, when he was a prospect at least, coming up, that Julio will be able to strike out you know, maybe a batter branding. inning. And he's not really been able to do that in his career. I'm not sure he's ever going to be able to, but if he can stay in that, you know, high sevens to eight strikeout per nine range. Mm-hmm. That would be super encouraging for me, um, especially if he's unable to bring the walk right back down to where it was when he was really looking good in 2013, 2014. Um, so I, I think he's been much, much better than he was a year ago. I think you can kind of tell that by his command and the way that his pitchers are, you know, diving and and that's leading to, that's leading to more ground balls. Um, it's too early to pr- you know proclaim him to be back, as you mentioned. I think, but mm-hmm. you know, 48 in- 48 innings, eight starts. I think he's. Again, Julio's not a number one in the sense where um on a on a good team you don't want him to, to be your number one, but what we've seen so far is more like the Julio that we expect and if he can just be this guy that we've seen with you know the low threes e r a his his value is immense on that great contract that we always talk about, so you know it'd be good to just see him in this range and just duplicate this um even if we want to get greedy and want him to be better than this, I would take this and run if I was the braves
0: yeah and now that you mention his value, and obviously with the Braves and with John Capolello, we always talk about uh, players being traded. I know Julio's name has been brought up multiple times about a guy that you could potentially trade this year uh, with the number of arms that you have in the minor leagues. For you personally, Brad, is Julio a guy that you would want to hang on and uh, put in the rotation as the Braves build for contention in the future? Or do you think he's a guy who's more valuable to uh, offer up at the trade deadline to a contending team and try to get a few bats back? Or whatever you whatever you're going after in this hypothetical situation where you're in control
1: yeah, it's one of those things where I, this is going to be easy, but it's all about value man like i I'd be okay with dangling Julio in trade. I think we've talked about that a couple of times, but this is a guy you have under under control through twenty twenty um at a very cheap cost for a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people saw you know six years and thirty two million dollars on the uh, on the extension that he signed, and probably think that sounds like a lot of money because it is to a regular person. But yeah. the highest number that that gets to during this extension is twelve million in a season, and twelve million for a starting pitcher is a value if you're any good at all, mm-hmm. and that's the high level of where he is. So I think um, it's not just trading Julio um, the pitcher; it's trading Julio the contract. And knowing that he's you know, 25 years old and an established guy, and even if he was bad, quote-unquote, like he was in 2015, his worst season, he was still worth you know, a little bit over one war. And that, you know, even, even that $12 million, that's not a bad contract
0: mm-hmm. in
1: today's baseball. So it's one of those things where I, I'd be fine trading him. I'd be fine um, putting him out there, see what, seeing what you can get. But it's not like the situation where you have to trade him. I think he's just, just fine to throw in the middle of a rotation – as you know, somewhere between you know two, three, or four guy um, for next year and possibly the year after, and just you know you kind of know what you're getting. You hope that it's somewhere in that you know low to mid threes and from the ERA standpoint. And you can build a team. You're not building around Julio, but you can build you can build with him. Um, so, you know I, know, I know Copy's certainly open to trading anybody. Uh, even Freddie Freeman, I don't care what they say. They, <laughs> they, they would trade Freddie Freeman if the opportunity presented itself with yep. a big enough package. They would never admit that, and they shouldn't admit that to the season ticket holders, et cetera. But any, any, anybody on, on this roster currently is available. Um, short of Danby Swanson, I think anybody in the organization is available yeah. for the right price. Um, so Julio, you know. I'm not saying trade him. I think there was a column this week somewhere. I won't mention where. I know where it is now that I'm thinking <laughs> about it. Um, that was kind of calling for that to happen. Yeah. Um, I'm fine with. I'm, I'd be fine if they. You know, if I woke up tomorrow and they traded Julio for this really awesome package of, you know, maybe established talent and maybe high end prospects or both. Great. That's That's awesome. If you if you get the right price, then do it. And if not, there's no rush. He's a, he's a good player on a good contract, and that's
0: that has value too. Yeah, and just to put into perspective the contract situation that you're mentioning, which should always be mentioned when we're talking about Tehran, um, he signed a six-year $32.4 million contract with the Braves uh, with one option year. And just compare that to Steven Strasburg's mega contract extension. The Nationals inked him to a seven-year $175 million deal. And Steven Strasburg has been a better pitcher than Tehran over their careers Uh, But he's two years older and the difference in their performance isn't that huge that he should be earning that much more than a guy like Tehran if they're both being paid market value. So that contract is crazy uh, in favor of the Braves when you're looking at it. And it's kind of shocking now looking at that contract uh, compared to some of the the dollars that you've seen these pitchers getting in free agency and with teams just extending them. It's kind of insane to think about.
1: Yeah, it's the value, man. I mean... Shout out to Julio for taking, you know, <laughs> the the, ar- the argument the argument for the player in this sense is, is that you know, look look, he's a pitcher. Pitching is volatile. And if you can if you can guarantee yourself, you know, twenty, thirty million dollars, yep. that's life-changing money. So like I'm never gonna begrudge a guy for doing that. Um it obviously helps the Braves. Um, but at the same time, like I wrote about this when I think it was before the season started, about some of these free agent contracts that were handed off this offseason. Yeah. Um compared to what the Braves have Julio under contract for for four more years after this season. And it's it's night and day, man. Like if if Julio signed a free agent deal right now for four more seasons at what at what he's owed, it would be panned by everyone as an incredible deal for the Braves. Mm-hmm like it's not even it wouldn't even be something anyone would consider him signing. So it's just super value and you know that's that's really all, that's really all it comes down to like it's it's nice that if he's awesome but even if he's just a league
0: average starter like a three like a three even a four starter yeah even a guy it, that just gives you innings and kind of keeps you in the game you know.
1: Yeah, if he's a four starter I admit, seriously like if he did the same thing he did last year in his worst season
0: mm-hmm.
1: for the rest of the contract it would be fine. The contract would, would be totally fine. Yeah, which is incredible because like we don't, none of us think I, I don't, I don't think anybody on our site thinks that Julio is that pitcher. Like he may not be a ton better than he was last year, but I don't think anybody's expecting him to post a four ERA every no. year. So like if if there's anything better than that, which I think we, I think we all agree will happen, you know, it's all surplus value and that's
0: awesome. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I'm trying to think now, just back to my mindset when this deal was announced, whether I even. Acknowledged how good of a deal it was at the time. Do you remember your your thoughts on on that deal when it happened? Because it was feel one like, of those like thinking at it now. It's like wow, this is insane. But I don't think my mindset was in the same place back when it was originally signed.
1: Yeah, it was one of those things where I don't think that anybody was super super duper fired up at the time when he what he actually signed it. Mm-hmm. Only because you know it's it was one of those like our buyout contracts where. It, they're almost always going to be cheaper than than the free market would would provide. So it was like, oh, that's a long term deal for Julio. I don't think it was like, oh, wow, that's the steal of the century. And I don't think anybody killed it either. It was yeah. one of those deals where I was like, cool, Julio's on the team for a long time. Yep. Um, but if you look at it closer, those those last couple of years, even you know, even paying 12000000 dollars <laughs> I mean, he'll be twenty nine at the end of this contract. Like you're, you're probably going to get his best years here on this reduced rate, which is crazy.
0: It's insane. Uh, but I think we can move along from the pitchers unless you have anything else to say on any of these three guys or anyone else in the rotation if you wanted to touch on that.
1: Young pitching is fun, man. Uh, it's hold very on. fun. The fan base should just, I know I am, take heed and really enjoy this young pitching because the rest of the team is not nearly as fun. So uh, any any positive pitching performances. And I, I'm a sucker for a pitcher's duel, which mm-hmm. if the Braves win games this year, it's probably going to be because of pitcher's duels. <laughs> so I'm all in on those. And uh, it's, fun, it's been fun to watch these
0: guys kind of turn it on the last couple weeks. You know what else is fun? Speed, speed is very fun. Room. Speaking of speed, uh, Malik Smith has uh, apparently been a really good player of late, and he's been a really good defender according to the advanced metrics. Um, Malik's is awesome. What have what have we seen from Malik Smith lately, Brad? I know. I, actually, I don't know. What are your thoughts on Malik's? Because we talked about him a lot before the season. We were very skeptical of Malik Smith. I was skeptical of his defensive uh, abilities. I thought he was very raw in the outfield, but. The numbers say otherwise. The numbers say he's been pretty dang good. What has he got eight defensive runs saved already this year? Yeah,
1: he's been um, – first of all, I agreed with you uh, before the season started about Malik, especially on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, he leads the team with ADRS, which is awesome this early in the season. That's kind of lights out. Like That's like gold glove level performance. Yep. Um, I still don't think he's that good defensively yet. And even some of these highlight plays that he's made, um, it's him taking bad routes to balls and just using that incredible speed that he has to close on balls mm-hmm. and that's you know that's the argument for it is that look, not everybody that's fast is a good defensive player, um, but Malik Smith is so fast and he's so talented that he can make up for a lot of things, and that's why you know you love that tool in a player. Um, so I don't think he's been that good defensively as the numbers are telling you, but he's been better than I thought he'd be mm-hmm. um, for sure. Um, and at the plate, you know, he's kind of been what we thought he was early in the season as a guy who would, who might be a little bit overmatched. But the last couple of weeks, he's been quite good. I think it's the last the last fourteen days, he has an OPS over eight hundred. Um, and again, that's a super small sample. It's like forty. It's like forty plate appearances. But um, he's 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 making reasonable contact. He's still striking out probably a little bit too much for a guy who yeah. has his profile. But you know, when, when he when he hits the ball. He uses that speed effectively to get on base. You'll, you'll see his infield, his infield hit rate go through the roof because he's so fast. Um, Any power is a bonus. But um, you know stealing bases, I think he has six steals on the season so far. Um, he's been generally better than I thought he would be. Um, and I'm glad that the, the team is electing to, ro- to roll with him. I think the, the absence of Hector Oliveira has made that a little bit easier for the Braves to mm-hmm. stick with Malice. So they don't really have a better option. Um, at the Major League level, um, and we can talk about a little, a little bit of why or whether you agree with Malik's playing center with Ender Enciarte, who is a legendary defender playing left field mm-hmm. most of the time. Um, but Malik's has been really good, and he's he's obviously a lot of fun, and we, we make fun of the Vroom element to his game, but it's been a long time since the Braves had like had that guy. Since Michael Bourne, really, yeah. um, since they had that guy who was just lightning on the base pass and good enough to play in the lineup
0: every day. No, I think the speed, like you talked about, makes the baseline for his defensive value. It it puts that at a point where even if he's not taking good routes, he's still going to be a valuable outfitter just because he's going to be able to get to so many more balls than other players are going to be able to get to. He's certainly going to be able to get to like three times as many as Nick Markekis over there trotting around in right field. But uh, the thing that really excites me about a guy like malek is if he's able to to learn over the next few years and really improve his route running. Like just imagine if a guy with Malik's speed is running routes like Jason Hayward runs on a regular basis. If he's out there in center field running those kind of routes, like you've got a Kevin Kiermaier type dude playing defense. And regardless of how well he hits at that position, that's valuable. Um, I'm still very skeptical of his bat. I know from April 28th, he's got, uh, 42 plate appearances. Was this the same, uh, Mark, you chose when you, when you were talking about... What might, was it was somewhere saying? around there. Yeah, so you look at these numbers, and since April 28th, he's gotten 39 at-bats, and he's hitting 359 with a 590 slugging. But his on-base percentage in that time is lower than his batting average um, because he has no walks. He struck out eight times, and his bad is is uh, four nineteen. So he's a guy that's always going to have a pretty high batting average on balls in play, but I'm still not convinced that he's going to be able to hang at the major league level as a hitter, um, what depending on what he's able to do for you defensively, like you can still put him in the lineup and be fine. Like he could still be a, a valuable player. Think Andrelton Simmons um, type type of value, uh, but I'm still very skeptical there. And if you look at his stolen base numbers, the six steals are exciting, but he's also been caught five times. That's not a good uh, percentage. You want to be getting around 80% on stealing bases or else it's not really that valuable. Yeah, so, I think, so Malik is still a guy who's who's got that that tool that excites you and, and he can be a valuable player. And I think he might have already proven that he's going to be a really good defender, but I'm still skeptical of the numbers. And again, I would rather have NCRT playing center field. We can hat, rehash this more if you want, but I think um, there's still a lot left for Malik to improve on in my mind. And I'm still pushing the brakes on Malik's at this point. Although it is exciting. It's super fun to watch this guy play. And by all accounts, he's an awesome guy to have on your team. I mean, the fans like him. He loves talking to the fans, interacting with them. He just seems like a good dude. So I hope he can continue to improve. But there are definitely some things I want to see him improve on.
1: Yeah, there's some issues for sure. I think I think you have almost all of them. But he's got to walk more strikeout less. That's yeah. just um, some of that has to do with him not knowing what he's doing. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> a sentiment around even baseball people that like him. It's kind of hey, malice has no idea what he's doing, yeah anywhere at the plate or in the outfield, and it's kind of a testament to his talent, especially defensively, that he's been able to be this good with having no clue what he's doing <laughs> um he's twenty three years old, so it's not like it's uh shocking or you know really troublesome that he doesn't know what he's doing yet, but I think ideally at the plate, you want him to be walking you know ten percent of the time and striking out less than twenty percent of the time. And right now, it's five, 5% five walk rate to 26% strikeout rate. And he can't succeed like that. Um, without power that he's really probably never going to have, um, he's got to get on base more and strike out less. That's just the way it is. Him, put, him, put, him putting the ball in play is so important. Um, I think both of us kind of think strikeouts are overrated as, as, as a general thing. But for a guy like Malik, he has to strike out less because you know, every time he puts the ball in play, something good can happen because he's so fast. Mm-hmm. Um and he has that profile of the guy who really has to put the ball in play and make contact, but again i'm I'm sort of with you in pumping the brakes, but it's been uh it's been something to see for sure to have him be this uh, impactful with again having uh having no idea what to do on the field mm-hmm. um that that sounds harsh and I mean it in the nicest possible <laughs> way. I think he's just super raw, and I think that's going to take some time. I like to see what the Braves what, what this coaching staff has to do with him uh in the future. Teaching him how to play the outfield, teaching him how to run the bases. I think something's important about this about this staff is that there really isn't a base running guy on this staff. Yeah, that's interesting um, to note. Yeah, and they haven't had a guy like Mallux in so long that um, I think some of that, you know, six for eleven st- uh, stolen base rate is has to do with him not really being taught how to do it well. I'm sure somebody's working with him. I'm not going to say that the staff's ignoring it, but yeah. Um, it's the tr- it's the tricks of the trade kind of stuff where you turn a guy from a pretty good stolen base guy into an elite guy. Um, Malik should be elite by the time he's ready to go in his you know in his, in his mid twenties when he's kind of developed in that stat. This is a guy who should steal you know thirty forty bases a year minimum, um, and it, it'll be fun to see him when he gets there. But until then, um, he's twenty three and kind of fun. So that that, that probably kind of <laughs> encapsulates what he should be. He's really young, really fun, and uh, he should be better than he is now. Hopefully, he will be.
0: Yeah. All right, so what do you think about the outfield alignment? I know, Oh, I, I mean, I feel like this know, is going to be a pretty short argument for us, given the two You know how, opinions.
1: yeah, I mean, look, I think Enciarte <coughs> is a guy who I think we've kind of established is not going to hit. I don't think he's ever going to hit, mm-hmm. but if he does, it's not going to be a huge level of offensive contribution. He's there because he's an awesome, awesome outfielder. Yeah. Um, we know Enciarte is a great center fielder, so I, I sort of get it in the fact that they, they might want to see what Malik's has in center field, um, but if you're going to do that, can we play in, can we play Ender in right? Please, yes, gosh, there's just, no reason
0: we... Marquez needs to be in right field.
1: I'm not sure if they made some sort of contract deal, <laughs> Marquez, that we don't know about where he has to play right field. But I get it to a certain point. They want to they want to see what Malik's has in center field. But if you know, granting that, um, there's no. No scenario where Ender and should ever play left field while Nick Marquez plays right field. It's absolutely insane. And again, this is one of those things that don't matter as much as we're gonna make it sound like they matter right now. It doesn't matter that that much. It just doesn't make any sense. Like NCRT is an awesome center fielder who would be a really, really, really awesome right fielder. Yeah. Like might be challenging Jason Hayward for best defensive right fielder in the league. Which is he's says, right saying right a lot. Yeah. Yeah, like NCRT is again, if you're an awesome center fielder, uh, he has a big arm for a center field, too. Yeah, he's got like a strong Enciarte, arm. It's not like Enciarte has a... Has, it's like Michael Bourne, who was an awesome outfielder who couldn't throw. Enciarte has a real arm like to play right field, so yep. that's, that, yep. that argument goes out the window, and Marquegas is bad in right field. He just is. Like,
0: the biggest thing for me there is you've got your best arm in left field where you want to put your worst arm. Like Malik's doesn't have a great arm. Marquegas' arm, although it might be better than last year, it's not as good as Enciarte's arm, so like, why are you wasting your best outfielder and your best outfield arm in left field. It I don't doesn't understand be, that. I, mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. If the team was competing, I'd be a lot more angry over this. Right. But that's my whole the mentality thing. has been like, okay, whatever, they're not going to compete this year. Which is like, keeps me sane to an extent, but at the same time, you don't want to be making stupid decisions just because you can.
1: It's the same thing with lineup, but no, I think all things equal, NCRT is the best center fielder on the team. I mean, There's no question he's still better than Alex in center field, but he's also the best right fielder. Yeah. So like, If you tell me that Malik is good enough to play center field every day, which it certainly looks like he is defensively. He's been really, really good according to the numbers. Again, we're both skeptical of that. But he's certainly not been bad. Yeah, We could say that with with a certainty. Um, Yeah, NCRT and right and Markekis and left is what you have to do. I think if Markekis is on this team long term, which is a whole other issue we won't talk about today in depth. But if he's on this team, he's got to be playing left field. Like or a bench, bench bat. <laughs> well, no, um, he's better than <laughs> no, that. No, I'm just kidding. We, I'm kidding. You know, I think he's a perfectly fine starting left fielder. It's just one of those things where um, his defense isn't good and anybody that says otherwise is lying to you. He has no range. He's got an average arm at best. It's one of those things where he used to be a pretty good right fielder and now he's below average. He's not horrible by any means. But if you put that guy left field, where most teams hide their you know, power hitter that can't play defense, Marquez is suddenly like league average, maybe even a little bit better in left field, whereas in right, he's really, really not. So it's one of those things where you hide him, and you put in Ciarte, who would be awesome in right field. Um, you know, let not play there. I think long-term, this is something I think Ben Deronio, shout out to Ben Deronio, talking chop alum, mm-hmm. has been talking about a lot, is that long-term, I don't think you want this out, this particular outfield, just because you don't have any power, like it's really tough to play three guys in the outfield that none of none of whom have any power and it's even if even if they're all you know good players in their own right, which they all could be uh, we don't know about Max yet but the, the other two are you know certainly good players um there's still something to say from from a lineup construction standpoint a roster construction standpoint where you know, you might be good defensively. You might be good in a vacuum with all three of those guys, but you probably want some power eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, just somewhere. That's just something to note. And I noticed that this week that, um, and I was like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like even if these guys are good, you probably want somebody out there that can hit for um, some level of power. Even if even if it's not home run power, just doubles mm. power, which you don't have out of any of those guys right now.
0: Nope. Uh, and that's a pretty good transition to our next topic. We can table the outfield discussion for later if it continues to be an issue. But Come I, feel on, like, Freddie. I feel like you Come touched on. on it pretty well. But yes, Freddie Freeman is hitting like we know Freddie Freeman can hit, and he's actually been doing it for a while. Uh, I know you wrote about this recently, Brad. So we'll plug your piece here, and you can talk a little bit about what you found. But since April fifteenth, Freddie Freeman, which is a full month, uh, he's hitting three thirty three, four eleven, five forty five. With five homers, 11 walks, and 25 strikeouts. But were we, I, I mean, I know people questioned who, who the we was who we were, um, who the we was who was doubting Freeman. Wow, that sounds stupid. But you basically said we didn't need to doubt Freddie at the beginning of the season when he was struggling. And it looks like you were right about that. What have what have we seen from Freddie Freeman basically since uh, the first two weeks of the season were over?
1: Yeah, it was the royal we. I think uh, myself included. Like, I'm not sure we ever doubted Freddie. It was more like, is Freddie hurt? Yeah. <laughs> um, that was something I, something I definitely said because of all the underlying numbers, the hard hit rate was down. Line drive rate was down, you know, it's definitely stuff that you can, uh, that nerds would get into and kind of say, "Hmm, there might be a problem here with Freddie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really where the piece was designed. It wasn't to say that we were like, like stuff on fire, or worried about Freddie Freeman, but uh, the takeaway is that, you know, he's still good. Uh, and, even even with the slow start, this is a guy who has a 127 R- WRC plus for the season. Um, and I think we kind of agree that Freddie is not going to be a super-duper star player now. I think we've kind of reached that point where we can kind of assume this is it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's 26, um, and he might get a little bit better, but I don't think there's ever going to be like a 35 home run season out of Freddie Freeman. No, um, and at see. first base, that kind of limits your upside. Unless you're Joey Votto. Unless you're gonna unless you're going you know, get on base, you know, forty five percent of the time, like Joey Votto. <laughs> or if you're um, Goldschmidt
0: and can also steal thirty-five bases somehow. Well, yeah, I
1: mean Goldschmidt's yeah. got more power than Freeman, no, and he runs, definitely does play be- plays better defense, all that stuff. But uh Why can't yeah. you just
0: be better, Freddie Freeman? Why can't you just be Paul Goldschmidt?
1: That's the thing. Like <laughs> Freddie's you know, it's the contract stuff. Everybody talks about it. he's the face of the franchise, he's has the big $135 million contract, and that comes with some expectations, but I think to be real, he's just gonna be this player, and this player's good. Like yeah. he's got three seasons of you know, three and a half war or better on his resume by the time he's twenty-six, he's on pace for another one now. If he keeps this baseline up, he's gonna have three or four war again. And like he's a good player. He's gonna hit twenty homers, he's gonna get on base, you know, close to forty percent of the time, mm-hmm. which is awesome. The
0: thing is if you've got a good lineup, Freddie Freeman's a guy that you put in the middle of that lineup and he's gonna be helping you score a lot of runs. And whether or not you think he's good at first base, or not he's serviceable there. Uh I think he I tend to think he's a little bit better than most people at the position. It
1: also doesn't matter Yeah, first base doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't. Like you can be a butcher there and be okay. Like it it's he's not that. He's yeah. not again, I agree with you. He's not awful. But he's he not hits. good either, but yeah, it's a position where you have to hit. It's like left field. Like most play mo, again, we talked about it some <laughs> second ago. Most teams use a bad defensive player in left field that hits. Yep. And it's like first it's like first base. Like you don't have to be good. Like he's fun. He he does good, he, he's a good scooper. We've talked about that. The at, scoop. To yes. great length the great the heavily of,
0: underrated scoop play. And it's
1: <laughs> nobody's pitching to Freeman either. Like that's the thing about this season is that if you believe in lineup protection at all, which I don't necessarily buy in a ton to, but if you believe in that, this is not the year for it. There's
0: nobody on either side of him mm-hmm. in the lineup that scares anybody. What's exciting to me is when uh, when I just looked at his batted ball numbers. Um, so far this year, he's grounding out, or he's, his ground ball percentage, excuse me, is 29% uh, compared to his career average of 37, basically 38%. That's, that's great for Freddie Freeman. He doesn't need to be hitting the ball on the ground, and his line drive rate is right in line with his career rate. If you're Freddie Freeman and you're suddenly hitting the ball on the ground, uh, almost like 10% less, that's awesome, and that can only lead to good things, I feel like. So if that's something he can sustain uh, going through the season, we might be able to see a few more homers just because he's not putting the ball on the ground, but I'm still skeptical of that number staying there because his ground ball percentage has been pretty dang consistent throughout his entire career. Um, So that'll be something to keep an eye on as well, but good news for Freddie Freeman at the plate all around. Yeah, I mean, he's on
1: pace for like... 28 homers if you took this pace he plays you know Freddie almost plays every day um he has 162 game season on his resume he's going to play 150 games barring injury if he does this all year he's going to hit 25 to 28 homers and that would be awesome that'd be a career high so uh for all the uh you know i'm I'm blaming myself too for all the stuff about worried about the wrist and i'm still worried about the wrist i won't i don't care until he shows me a full (laughs) season now wrists are so scary to me as for hitters that i I'm gonna need the full season from Freddie to not be worried about it anymore. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he's been he's been lights out and uh you need that guy in the lineup. Even as again, this lineup is not gonna be good no matter what happens. Freddie could be Bryce Harper and this lineup wouldn't be good. Um, but it's good to have the guy that you know is gonna hit every day and that's that guy seems to be back.
0: Yep. All right. Now that we're uh basically talked about Freddie Freeman pretty indefinitely. also we'll link Brad's piece if you guys haven't read that. Uh, I'll link it. Scream at like me in this. the comments, please. Yeah, go go check it out. It's good stuff. Uh, but let's jump into the mailbag segment. I know we touched on this early, but we're going to do it for some Braves-related topics. Um, at Ken DH says or asks, how long do we eyebar? Uh, I'm assuming he means how long do we keep Ibar? Not saying bench him yet. No, we want his value up for trade. But at what point do you cut bait? Brad Eric Ibar is hitting 187 with a 215 on base percentage and a slugging percentage that's just five points better than that. He's also not very good at shortstop. So on a terrible team like the Braves are this year, uh, is there any reason to put him on the bench, uh, demote him? What do you do with him? Oh, boy. Um,
1: This is a weird one. I I don't think um, that you're going to be able to get any value now. Um, he's it's too again. late already even
0: he has some well, kind of crazy Well, it's not
1: month. too late. Like if if he heated up a little bit, um you might be able to get a C prospect for him at the deadline. I I know what the Braves wanted to do, at least we think we do, with, you know, play Ibar every day, hope that he's league average and then at the deadline flip him for a prospect. Mm-hmm. Um the trade for Simmons, a lot of people seem to think it was for Ibar, which is insane. It was for <laughs> the prospects. Yeah. Um, we know that here, and most of our most of our readers know that. But shout um, out to
0: our smart readers.
1: Yeah, Ibar I was a throw-in, and you know things couldn't have gone any worse than they have. He has a nine WRC plus for the season. You Is heard that, that good? correctly. Is that nine.
0: Good? So that basically means that ninety-one percent. He's been ninety-one percent worse than the league average hitter. Basically, he's worse than like a pitcher at this point hitting.
1: Yeah, he's worse than a pitcher hitting. Um <laughs> he has negative seven defensive run save, meaning he's you know, if he's not the worst defensive shortstop in the league, he's probably in the running um thus far. Um so again, there's it couldn't be it's comically bad. We all know that.
0: Um, Basically, and- Brad could go out there and put on eye-bar's an uniform and you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I mean, to be <laughs> honest not
1: not me, but like random college shortstop. Yeah. <laughs> like if you go get the shortstop from like Georgia Tech probably wouldn't be worse. Um, that that's not a joke. Like it, uh, again, I think Ivar's better than the guy we've seen cuz he almost can't be worse and like this is a guy who's been a solid professional for almost a decade, so like he's not he can't be this bad. It's kind of inconceivable. But at the same time, like we don't we don't know it's going to get better. So um there's an argument for the Braves to play him every day for a little while longer just so that he can get uh, some more um, at-bats to sort of fix the uh, the damage done by the stats from the early season so they can make him look better for trade. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that there's nobody else. Um, you, they're not going to promote Swanson or Albies right now. Um, and the only other internal option, you have you, know, you have Jace Peterson, who's currently Gwinnett, and you have Daniel Castro. Um, Daniel Castro, we've kind of bent over. Mm-hmm. He can't hit. So we know what you're getting there. Like You're going to get a good defender, but – He can't hit. We know that he can't hit. And Jace, they've kind of—I think—they've almost resigned to the fact that he's probably going to be a super utility player. They have him down in Gwinnett, trying to hit better, um, trying to hopefully, hopefully fix his production offensively, um, maybe play some outfield, that kind of stuff. So there's nothing wrong with playing Ibar. As frustrating as it is, um, it maddens fans. It maddens us. I know to see him be as bad as he's been, Um, but in the long run. I don't blame them for trying to, you know, restore some value, um, so they can maybe get something for him down the line. But there is a there is a uh, a time in the season where they're just going to have to cut bait and probably just release him. Mm-hmm. If he's this bad, you are not going to be able to trade him, and you want to at least at least you. I mean, I would honestly, I would rather see Jace Peterson play shortstop every day. As funny as that is, I would uh, rather see
0: Daniel Castro. I think that. I mean from a production I mean, just cuz he's going to field the position yeah, for you, your pitchers pro- from a production are get better not yeah. get better but they'll have better numbers and maybe maybe just the fact that you have a a really good defensive shortstop behind you maybe that honestly does help your pitchers perform better just because they know they can rely on the defense a little bit more maybe there's something to that but oh
1: that's the that's the concern i think that's a great point by you like know, knowing that you're going to run run out all these young pitchers for the next <laughs> several months and they're already here really um, do you want an awful shortstop? Yeah. You know that's that's the most important defensive position on the field. It's shortstop at center field, and your center fielder is great, but your shortstop is an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and to be fair, Freddie's moved off. Ibar he's playing less than he was early in the season, so I think he's almost kind of resigned to it as well. But um, I think from if you're trying to win a game tomorrow, I don't think Eric Ibar is your shortstop.
0: No, I agree with you.
1: I think it's almost certainly Daniel Castro, only because. You you could hit him eighth or ninth. I guess ninth now that Freddie's hitting the pitcher eighth every day. You can hit Daniel Castro ninth. Um, kind of just assume he's not going to hit, but he's going to be. He's an above average defensive shortstop. I think he's kind of shown that. So uh, you know, it's not an easy answer, and I I don't blame anybody for calling for Ivar's head. I get that he's been that bad, but mm-hmm. I know what they're trying to do to restore some value. I don't know if it's going to work.
0: All right, I think you answered that one very well, Brad. Uh, moving on to the next question from Tim Bostick, thirty seven. Are you getting worried about Albies yet, Ozzy Albies? Did the Braves promote him too soon? Uh, I know you you had some comments about this before we got started, Brad, so I'm just going to let you keep rolling on your shortstop analysis. I know I was uh, a huge proponent of holding Albies down. He was so young. I didn't think the Braves were actually going to promote him as rapidly as they have, but they have, and it seems like he's done pretty well. Did they put him up to AAA too soon? I know people freaked out a little bit because of his slow start, but what have we got from Albies in AAA at this point?
1: Yeah, if you look at his at his overall numbers in AAA, they're not good. Um, 212 batting average, 241 on base percentage um, in, in 14 games, 55 plate appearances. So if you just look at that, you might panic and think, oh, he's 19, he's overmatched um i i get that but he was he was really brutal for the first handful of games uh he he started the season uh the triple a season i should say one of 17 at the plate uh in four games and since then he's been really good uh he's hitting over 340 since then um so again those are both super small samples um and we don't really know if albies is overmatched yet i can say for certain that i'm not there watching him every day i've seen him play there once um so, it's one of those things where we're kind of analyzing the numbers and not the player at this moment. We know what he is, but not necessarily in Quinet over 14 games. Um, I don't think he's overmatched at all. I, I just think it's one of those things where they had faith in him to move him up that quickly. He's never going to be a power guy. So, it's, you're almost, he's way more reliant on um, volatility at the plate and BAPIP kind of driven things because of the fact that he doesn't have that power. It's all about making contact and getting on base. Um, One one alarming thing at Gwinnett is that his walk rate's down. Mm. um, So I think it's 3.6%. That's a worry because he needs to walk and he needs to show that plate discipline. That's something you would worry about from a guy getting promoted too soon um, is being overmatched at a plate and kind of facing pitching that he's not used to seeing that's more polished. But overall, I think it's... He's been just fine. The the overall numbers might tell might paint a different picture, but if you take out those first four games where he might have just been, you know, trying to adjust a little bit, he's been quite good since then. So nothing to fret about in my opinion. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty much spot on. I think the biggest difference in double A AA and AAA pitching is that like you mentioned you touched on Brad, the pitchers are more polished. Uh all the guys at AAA, even if they don't have as good of stuff as the uh maybe the hot shot prospects that you have in double A are, even if they don't have the fastball that goes up into the upper 90s as consistently, or the uh, breaker bats, uh, cutters, or these huge curveballs. These guys can all, for the most part, locate their off-speed pitches much better than the double-A guys. They're just more refined pitchers, uh, and I think you see that with his walk rate going down. Uh, Albies is going to have to learn to hit a hitter, uh, Excuse me, hit the pitcher's pitch rather than jumping on a mistake, as maybe he was able to do more in the lower levels, I think, Uh, We're going to learn a lot about what kind of a hitter he really is at this point. And also, we don't need to worry too much uh, this quickly when he jumps a level. He's already surpassed the the developmental track that I would have guessed he would be on at this point. So I'm fine to give him a whole lot of time to see what he's able to do. And he's really performed well at every level. So no, I don't think you need to get worried. Uh, Even if Albie struggles for the rest of the season, I don't think that's something you need to worry about. Because, again, he's 19 years old still. Uh, And by all accounts, he's got the tools to be a good hitter at the plate. Even without that power, he's got gap-to-gap pop to uh, allow him to be a really productive hitter at the plate. So no, I think you should uh, be perfectly fine enjoying what Ozzy's done so far and looking forward to continued success for him, regardless of how long that'll take for him to adjust to AAA pitching. All right, uh, the next one, let's see. At DWM08E, That's a good branding right there for me, buddy. Is it possible... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, not to knock the Twitter account too hard, but I have no idea who you are. DWM08E. Is it possible that four-fifths of the 2017 rotation is now on the team? Optimus in me wants to think four young guns could use 16 to prep for 17. Uh, This is kind of an interesting question, just because we have so many arms, but Brad... Of the rotation that we have currently, how many of those guys do you think are going to be on the team or in the rotation next season? Do you think this is uh, what the Braves want moving forward? Or do you think we're going to see some of the names start to pop up? Some of the uh, Lucas Sims, Sean Newcombs.
1: I think he's on to something. If you, you know, if you, if you made me pick the rotation for next year, I think four, four of these guys would be in it. Which four? Julio, um, Mike Fultonavich, Matt Whistler, and Aaron Blair. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, you mentioned it briefly there. There's so many arms here that I would not wager any significant number on that. Um, I think we don't know enough um, about guys like Newcomb and guys like Sims to know if they're going to be able to beat one of these guys out, or if the Braves move on from one or two of these guys via trade, even if it's Julio, we talked about early, um, or Foltier. I mean, it really doesn't. Um, with the way this, this front office is approaching this, um, it would it would not surprise me to trade any of these guys. Literally any of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, maybe Newcomb would be a little bit surprising, given what they gave up to get him. Um, but at, uh, all the other guys we mentioned, I think, would be fair game. Um, but the four guys that I, you know, that are currently in the rotation now have a leg up, and then they've <laughs> and that they're already here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Blair ha- Blair's been kind of hit and miss in his you know short stint, but the other the other three guys have been. Up and productive at times. Um, even Fultonevich, we've talked about, he's been really good lately. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Julio and Whistler are very safe until unless they get traded or get hurt. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'd, I think I'd say four of these guys are going to be up. But don't hold me to that based on what we see from some of the young guys. We might have an interesting battle come 2016 spring training um, if all these guys are still here. Plus, I'd have to think the Braves will at least look at some veterans if they're trying. I'm not. I, I, th- I think I said 2016. I meant 2017 spring yeah. training. Um, I think the Braves might even look at some veterans, too. If you're talking about a team that's going to want to compete next year, yeah, um, they might be looking in that market as well. So nothing is certain for sure. But 4 seems seems uh, certainly reasonable, if not probable.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, I, I would hesitate to put a bet on any of this, as you said. But I think, um, especially after this season, the guys like Lucas and Sean Newcomb and Tyrell Jenkins, I think I'm higher on Tyrell than you are, Brad. But any of that's those true. guys, I would, I would be... Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see all three of those guys in the rotation next year. Um, Whether that means Blair's getting out, whether that means Fultonovich is hopping out, whether that means there's a trade, uh, there's just no telling. There's so many arms in the system, and uh, a lot are creeping up in AAA, uh, really ready to to make their starts in the MLB at some point soon. I couldn't tell you, that's a tough question, but it's definitely a good problem to have more pitchers. Uh, It's just a matter of how good these guys are going to be. So we'll have to just sit back and see. All right. Last question comes from section EJ seat seven. You guys have some creative Twitter Twitter names this time, but we appreciate the questions as always. Uh, he asks over under for the number of homers by the Braves this season, and uh, Brad has been nice enough to let us know that the Braves were last in 2015 with 100 home runs, and the next closest team had 120. Uh, this, um, and, and this year, <laughs> wait, Matt what are we the setting Bruins. the over, over under at?
1: Uh, that's what we have to figure out. Like, so what's we have a to reasonable? And
0: then, and then also choose the over under. Okay, I think it's it's fair to say that they're hitting less homers this season than last year, right? I mean, well, listen, they have right now.
1: <clears> just to set the stage, the Braves have um, nine home runs in thirty six games. Oh man, Which means they're homering story once every like his
0: first two at bats, right?
1: Yeah, they're homering effectively once every four games as a team. Okay, which put, which puts them on pace for somewhere in the forty range, <laughs> which would be the major league record.
0: Okay. Um so we can, can we set it a little bit. We, I it's got to like be we, higher than that. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying.
1: I'm just trying to get some context. The next, the next uh, slowest <coughs> team right now is the Phillies. I was coming into today. This has probably changed since then, but coming into today, to today was twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously a huge gap there. I think forty is obviously too low. Um, what if but, we set and, it
0: at seventy? but at seventy. Is it too high? <sighs> too easy still. Uh, the fact that the
1: 70 seems high <laughs> is really jarring it's because scary, right? as we mentioned last year's uh you know MLB low was the Braves with 100. I think 70 is probably reasonable and the fact that I would take the under is terrifying.
0: All right. What if what, what if I lower it? What if I put the over under at 60 still taking the under? <sighs> um let's see. Freddie hits twenty five. <laughs> doing
1: the, you're doing each player, all right? No, I'm just trying look to do what seems reasonable. I think sixty is probably the right number. And again, this is an, an insane conversation because the Braves were atrocious power wise last year. They hit a hundred and sixty is like I'm going to look this up real quick. I'm pretty sure that's pretty sure that's the uh, all time
0: record for futility. <laughs> futility uh, in the power department. What do you think? Give me a, give me a guess. Uh, well, if it's at 60, I'm definitely going to take the under, and that's crazy, I know, I mean, I don't know, I, th- I thought Marquegas might hit a few more, but it's been forever since he's hit, like, 15 homers, so, yeah, if if we're sitting at a 60, I'm taking the under, I'm not confident in the Braves hitting home runs, I know you guys are tired of the national media and the local media, like, talking about how bad the Braves are at hitting home runs, but it's just that bad, like, it kind of makes me chuckle when I see all the Braves fans get mad that people are talking about this, but like this is so bad that you have to talk about this. Like it's historically bad and you expect them to just kind of move along and ignore that number like no, like this is really bad. Let's talk about how terrible it is. I'm all for talking about how bad the Braves are at hitting homers. Oof, yeah, it's <clears throat> it's not any fun to be honest. Yeah, so I think we're both below 60. I don't know how. Far, I can't you know, believe. Far I mean, honestly,
1: I can't believe that we're having this conversation <laughs> with sixty as a number and the fact that we're taking the under. Players you know, once
0: hit sixty homers in a season by themselves. Let's just let that be known.
1: You know what? Give me the over.
0: Oh wow! I think I just peer pressured you into that. I think.
1: I think you did, but listen. Okay, we got one hundred and twenty-six games. Okay. Left to hit fifty-two homers. Boy, that should be easy. Uh, I'll be. take the I'll take the over and just to avoid um the history that it would become with the under I might be 61 but I'll I'll take the
0: over just to spite you. All right, fair enough. We're going to we're going to write this one down and we're going to come back to it at the end of the year. I'm going to assume that Daniel Castro is going to start playing shortstop a lot more so that'll help me out even more. Oh my lord, and Adonis yep. Garcia is down in the minors. The little pop that you get from him is gone.
1: You know what? Shout out to our Adonis Garcia for his incredible defensive effort in his
0: time in Atlanta. Yeah. And may he
1: re- may he rest in peace
0: <laughs> and on that note i think we can wrap it up for you anything else that we need to touch on brad
1: no just read talking chop man we're trying to brighten your day with uh, braves related content on a daily basis um even when the team is not trying to brighten your day we are uh join <laughs> us you know listen you won't find better minor league coverage of the braves i'll tell you that anywhere that's 100 percent accurate not even the any local paper or anything like that. We will, we will be the, the standard bearer for minor league coverage. And when the minor league teams are more fun than the major league team, which might be happening this year,
0: <laughs> Talking chop,
1: talk chop is the place to be, man. So come uh,
0: read our stuff and listen to us talk some more. Yep. yep. You can follow Brad on Twitter at BT btroland. You can follow myself at Carlos A. Colazzo. Uh, as always, follow the site at Talking Chop. And as Brad said, check out the site every day. I'll be linking Brad's uh, piece to Freddie Freeman, if you haven't read that yet. Um, And thanks for listening, guys. We will try to avoid missing a week like we did last week moving forward. Uh, But we really appreciate your questions. We really appreciate you guys listening. And, I mean, a round of applause for all of you who made it through this entire podcast. You who are listening right now through the entire thing, thank you so much. Uh, Take care and have a good one until next time.